I think we just had an angel sing to us. Well, this weekend, the Christian world will focus its attention upon the crucifixion of Christ. The rest of the world on the Easter Bunny. Last Thursday, my wife and I were driving over to the church and we came to the stop sign by the parking lot of the Catholic Church and we saw the youth of the Catholic Church practicing evidently for an Easter program. They had a big heavy wooden cross and a young man dressed up as Jesus that was hauling the cross and they were practicing the reenactment of that event that took place so long ago. Christians will look at all aspects of the cross, but at least those that seem very important to them, the nailing of his body on the wooden cross, being hung between two thieves, his death, his burial, and finally his resurrection. All of these are important realities that we as Christians should reflect upon from time to time. But there's one that I think that most churches will leave out. And that's the one that I'd like to look at because in just a very few words it carries a lot of meaning when we look at it. But to kind of get the context and to kind of set the mood, I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 19. John chapter 19, we're going to begin with verse 1. John chapter 19, beginning with verse 1. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. And Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns, and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man! Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, before, before I found no fault in him. And the Jews answered him, saying, We have a law, and according to our law we... He ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid and went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. And then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you? And power to release you? And Jesus answered, 
you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. And when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the preparatory, the preparation day of the Passover, and about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered him to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Therefore the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews. But he said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to each soldier apart, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. And they said, Therefore, among themselves... Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be. And the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. We know the story. We talk about the story. We read it to our children. Every aspect of the crucifixion was intended not only to hurt the victim, but to put him to shame. The condemned person was marched through the city streets before the crowds of people shouldering his cross as the people either watched in horror or they mocked and condemned him. At the site of the execution, which was outside the city gates, the soldiers nailed Jesus to the cross, where he would die a horrible death. But in the midst of the words that we just read, there is a fact that we often overlook. So I want to zero in on that fact right now. Go back to John 19, and let's reread again verses 23 and 24. 
Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to each soldier apart. And also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. And they said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. The soldiers ripped off Jesus' clothes leaving the creator of the universe naked on the cross. And then they took the garments that they had torn off of him and they divided these garments into four parts, one part for each soldier. But the tunic, the robe, was different than the rest of his garments. It was seamless, very desirable to the soldiers in its entirety. They knew it was something of great value, something they seldom see, something that usually when they bring someone out to crucify them on the cross, that these individuals have never worn anything like this. And so at the foot of the cross... These soldiers gambled to see who would be the recipient of that valuable prize. I want to take a look for a moment in the Bible about garments. Because there is extra meaning about the garments in the Bible. The robe of Jesus as it was described in the Gospel of John, was a seamless fabric woven from the top to the bottom. Kind of like the description given to us in the book of Revelation. Take a look at that for a moment. Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. And we want to look at verses 12 and 13. Revelation chapter 1, beginning with verse 12. This is what John saw in his vision when he was on the island of Patmos. Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, who's that? Okay, that's Jesus Christ, clothed with a garment down to his feet and girded about the chest with a golden golden band. So there he saw Jesus wearing this garment from from his neck down to his feet. What does that mean as far as it goes for Jesus? 2 Corinthians, we'll turn to it a little later, but 2 Corinthians says that Jesus knew no what? He knew no sin. He was sinless. He was blameless. He was at without fault. He was perfect. He was pure. Just like his garment. 
was perfect. No seams. Seamless. It was pure. From his head clear down to his feet. Jesus' character was uninterrupted perfection in thoughts and in compassion and in actions. He was perfect in all of his being. So his robe reflects his perfect character, his perfect life. But when Jesus was nailed to the cross, he took off his robe of seamless perfection and he assumed a different wardrobe. Go to 2 Corinthians now, chapter 5. 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 21. 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, and verse 21. 2 Corinthians 5, and verse 21. For he, it's talking about God, made him, that's Jesus, in Jesus who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. He who knew no sin, like His seamless garment, now took upon Him sin, the garments of sin. What are the garments of sin? Why was it so important to look at the garments of sin? What, what is this describing? Let's go to 1 Peter. Let's go to 1 Peter. Again, we're looking at clothing has to do with character. 1 Peter, chapter 5, and verse 5. 1 Peter 5, verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. There needs to be a change within us. We need to put on ourselves the clothe, the righteousness of Christ. So what he is doing is he's giving to us his seamless robe, his purity, his righteousness, his humility, his his. Uh, clothing of perfection and he's taking upon himself the clothing the lack of clothing of sin what do I mean by the lack of clothing we need to go to Genesis let's go back to where it all started let's go to Genesis chapter 2 Genesis chapter 2 I want you to see the change. Genesis 2 and verse 25, and then we'll continue on from there. The very last verse of Genesis chapter 2. Talking about Adam and Eve, talking about being created. They were created perfect. God says that they were good. In fact, the end of his creation week, he said everything was very good. Verse 25, and they, that's Adam and Eve, were both naked. But notice something. The man and his wife were not what? Ashamed. Okay, let's continue on. Now the serpent was more cunning than, than any 
beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and that the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate it. And she also gave to her husband with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool of the day and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord God called Adam and said, Where are you? And so he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Before sin entered in, they were naked, but they were not ashamed. Now that sin entered in, they noticed that they were naked. And now what do you think they felt? Shame and fear. Fear of God, and they were ashamed of their nakedness. In fact, they were so ashamed of their nakedness that they took fig leaves and they sewed them together. If you sewed fig leaves together, they have seams. God saw them and asked them, Who told you you were ashamed? Who told you you were naked? It came from sin. And so God set into His motion the plan to be able to save mankind. And that's Jesus on the cross. And Jesus took off His sinless robe of perfection, which stood for His purity, His character, His unsinfulness. There were no seams in His clothing. They took them off of Him. And there He was On the cross, naked with the shame of mankind's sins placed upon him. Why is that significant? Go to Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah chapter 3. One of the minor prophets. I'll let you go there because I know you're not used to turning your Bibles to Zechariah. So I'll even let you look it up in the index in the front of your Bible to find out what page is on. Zechariah chapter 3. This is probably one of my most favorite chapters in all the Bible, Zechariah chapter 3. And you're going to see why in just a moment. Zechariah chapter 3. We're going to start with verse 1. This is a vision that Zechariah had, a vision that was taking place up in heaven. And it says in verse 1, Then he showed me, Joshua. You see that name Joshua? 
That is the Hebrew name for someone else. Jesus. Showed me Joshua. Jesus, the high priest. What does Hebrews tell us that who Jesus is? He's our high priest. Shows me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. The devil is always there trying to get after Jesus, trying to mess up his whole plan. Look at the next verse. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? The next verse. Now Joshua, who's that? Jesus was clothed with what? Filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Jesus is standing in our place as our high priest in the judgment and he's not wearing his perfect robe of righteousness because when he went to the cross, he put on himself the garments of sin. And the devil's standing there waiting to accuse him, to say, who do you think you are? Those individuals are down there are the sinful ones. What do you think you're doing? But Jesus is willing to stand before the judgment with our sins as if He had committed them. The filthy garments of sin and of shame as if He was the guilty offender. And when Jesus was nailed to the cross, He wore the wardrobe of indignity, the wardrobe of shame, the wardrobe of sin. He was naked, the failure of sinful mankind to live up to the standards of the law the nasty character of rebellion against God, all of which deserves death. But Jesus says, no, I will die and I'm going to give to you my robe of righteousness and my eternal life. Go back to John. Chapter 19. Look what he left for us. We're going to read it again. John 19, verses 23 and 24. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and made four parts to each soldier apart, and also the tunic. Remember the tunic, that's his robe, the perfect robe. Was without seam, without sin, without shame, woven from the top in one piece. By the way, the feet were often classified as being sin, as being dirty, because you walked around in the dirt. This was seamless and pure from the top that he wore it from the top of his head down to the dirtiness. Jesus came from heaven, the purity of heaven, down to this dirty, sinful earth. Go to the next verse. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. 
lots. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. What did Jesus leave behind? He allowed the very ones who had nailed him to the cross to take his seamless, perfect robe representing his perfect character. The winner, when they gambled at the foot of the cross, the winner was able to wear that perfect robe of Christ. We aren't any better than those soldiers. When those soldiers pounded the nails into the body of Jesus, we, because of our sin, also pounded those nails into the body of Jesus. What Jesus took upon him was the nakedness and the shame that we deserve because we are guilty. What did he leave behind? To the winners who are willing to accept and to believe, they received his seamless robe of righteousness that we might wear the robe of Jesus. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. But we have it. He left it behind for us to be able to receive that character. I am covered by the robe of Jesus Christ, the perfect one. I am covered by His righteousness. He has my dirtiness standing before the judgment scene in heaven right now. He stands there with my dirtiness, and I'm here on this dirty earth wearing His righteousness. Go figure. I mean, He must love me so much. What greater love hath anyone than this? And one gives up his life for his friends. And then Jesus says, you are my friends. Man. Go to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah 61. And verse 10. Isaiah 61 and verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Man, I have been clothed by the robe of Jesus Christ. This Easter, I hope you take some time to remember the robe of the righteousness of Christ that He has given to us, that He has left behind, not because we've earned it, but because He left it here for us because He loves us. Right now, He's in heaven wearing our filthy, torn garments that are full of seams and full of sins. He's got upon Himself the shame of all mankind, the sins of the world, the breaking of the law of God, even though he was innocent of all charges, he stands before the heavenly throne as the guilty one, 
And Satan's right there to accuse him, to be able, in, in symbolism form, to be able to say, you're just as guilty, you can't do this, but he's there for our benefit. We no longer have to hide from God in shame. We can boldly stand in the righteousness of Christ Give to Him our petitions and know that it will be heard and He will give to us the gift of eternal life. I praise God that Christ the Lord has risen in my heart today. Hymn number 166.
says, thank you for the robe of Jesus, the gift that has been left behind, that we might have life eternal. He has taken our sin and our shame, and he's placed it on himself. Lord, he doesn't deserve that. We're the ones that deserves to die. But because of his love, he gives to us that gift of eternal life that can never be earned. We just say today, hallelujah, Christ is our king. Amen.